he's really an extremist in, in many, many things. <clears throat> uh, when he gets a hold of something, when he gets an idea, he, he just takes it full bore. He goes full throttle. Anyways, uh, turns out that as, as Zach um, gave his heart to the Lord, that we, we got to walk a journey together that paralleled for a lot of years. He's a long time a friend of mine. Uh, we did ministry not just when he was a teenager, but we ended up, my first two years of full-time pastoral ministry were with, with Zach. Um, that was a blessing. And uh, we, we served on a youth evangelism team. Actually, I guess it was that first year together. And then later on, we went to the seminary together at the same time. So we studied together. We prayed together. I mean, this guy, he was someone who really loved the Lord. And when God got a hold of his heart, he became extreme about God. Um, we, we had these times where we just said, you know what? We, we just need to grow deeper. He knew a guy who went to the seminary and felt like it was... Um, not really the best use of his time. And so when he came back, he didn't necessarily have a lot to show for it in terms of depth of understanding and things, but he, he came back, like he went to seminary, uh, a pretty thin guy. He came back a pretty buff guy. <laughs> and Zach said, you know what? I'm not going to go to seminary and just come back physically strong. I'm going to come back like spiritually a giant. And so, I mean, it, it wasn't like an ambitious, uh, um, selfish ambition type of thing. It was just he wanted to, to really grab hold of God. And so while we were at the seminary, we, uh, we had set times of prayer together. We had these weekly appointments where we would just really pray together and for each other. Um, after we split from the seminary, um, actually, we were called to the same city in Modesto, California, to pastor about five miles down the road from each other, which is really awesome. And um, we continued to meet together on a weekly basis for prayer. We actually had some other guys at the seminary that we were praying with uh, on a weekly basis. Um, and we continued to pray through Google Hangouts and things like that. We would meet and just spur each other on. Anyway, so Zach is one of those guys that, that God used in my life or uses in my life just to keep inspiring me to, to seek revival, to keep seeking a deeper experience. Um, and then one day Zach mentioned this book that said was an inspiration to him. I'm thinking, wow, Zach, Zach is an inspiration to me. <laughs> you know? He's the one that's constantly getting up like at 4.30 in the morning to, to read and study and pray and seek. And um, here I am doing the prayer call at, you know, at, I think it's early for me, but it's super early for him, you know, things like that. Anyway, so when he mentioned this book, it was probably January of last year. Um, no, maybe it was December of the year before. So it, it was... Anyways, it was more than a year ago. <laughs> Zach mentioned this book. He said, oh, man, and I don't even have it on me. Derek, do you have it? There it is. Looks like this. It was, it's called Steps to Personal Revival. He said, yeah, I've been reading this book. It was authored by a German Adventist pastor, but it was translated into English. Little did I know that it's um, quickly becoming one of the fastest translated books um, in print right now. Um, it's called Steps to Personal Revival by Helmut Haubeil. It's actually free for download on the website. Um, oh, man, I don't even remember what the, the, what the website is called. Um, <clears throat> I, I won't need to give you the website. I will actually give you the book, okay? Uh, it, it's become such a blessing to me that I, I wanted to order it for us. And so on your way out, there's a table full of these books. Just take one. Take one. Um, one per household. There's, there should be enough to go around. The reality is that when I started reading it, I downloaded it. I didn't have the hard copy. I, st I started reading it 
And it was a slow start. I figured, man, uh, some of the German to English translation didn't quite, you know, it kind of hiccups a little bit. It sputters and things like that. I, I didn't quite follow its train of thought at times. I was hesitant to keep, um, to keep reading on, but I'm glad I did. And the reality is that reading this book has deeply impacted my life. Um, I personally feel a greater infilling of the Holy Spirit. This was back in March when I actually completed the book for the first time, and now I'm through it uh, for the almost through uh, on my third time through. And so um, it's deeply impacted my life, and I hope it will impact yours. And so the sermon series that we're going to be going through over the next few weeks, Steps to Personal Revival, apologies to the author (laughs) who uses the title. I won't be just preaching through the book. I will be preaching on the things that have hit me the hardest, hit me the the, the greatest through this book. And I encourage you to journey together uh, by reading it yourself, by reading it yourself. But we're going to be going through this probably through uh, the beginning of December. And so Steps to Personal Revival Where we're going to start is we're going to start in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Take your Bible with me if you have it or your phone. Uh, Luke chapter 11. Or maybe just share with the neighbor that's sitting next to you. Luke chapter 11. Beginning in verse 1. You know what? Before we even start, let's pray one more time. Father in heaven. God, I just ask that you would give us a measure of your Holy Spirit to hear from you today, that we would begin a journey together, steps, however big or small, to personal revival, not just for our sake, but for the sake of your great name. It's the greatest and most urgent of all of our needs. Whether we know it or not, please fulfill this need. So as we study these words, please um, bring them to life. Cause us to see ourselves. Lord, I I also just pray for divine effectiveness in communicating and discerning what it is you're trying to say in um, an efficient amount of time. Um, Not just time today, but because our time here on this earth is short. Please, Cause us to be quick to listen and quick to respond to the promptings of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. All right, we're starting. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James. If you're there, say, Amen. Amen. All right, starting in Luke 11, verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass, as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to what? To pray. Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Can you imagine coming upon Jesus, stumbling upon Jesus in one of his times of prayer? I mean, this was not a singular occurrence. This is something that Jesus did regularly. He withdrew to a solitary place to pray. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall or just a disciple just wanting to kind of mouse along it? Man, what is he praying about? He's the son of God, you know? What's he praying about? And these disciples, apparently, they, they caught wind of what was going on. It's, it's so cool. Uh, man, Ellen White says it best. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. Just kind of imagine this scene. This is so cool. 
The disciples had been for a short time absent from their Lord, when on their return they found him absorbed in communion with God, just wrapped in conversation with the Father. All right? The disciples had come to connect his hours of prayer with the power of his words and works. Like they see Jesus doing all these great things. They're, they're, they're no longer wondering, how can he do these great things? They, they connect the dots. It's because he's great in his time with God. Okay? So they had come to connect his hours of prayer with the power of his words and works. Now, as they listened to his supplication, their hearts were awed and humbled. As he ceased praying, it was with a conviction of their own deep need that they exclaimed, Lord, teach us to pray. In other words, the disciples heard Jesus. They saw Jesus. They they knew that they didn't have the experience that Jesus had with the people or with God. And they said, we need something different. Teach us to pray. When the disciples were seeking personal revival, some recharge, some, some transformation, where did they start? Teach us to pray. Step one to seeking personal revival just ask. Just ask. That's why, and that's where the disciples started. When they were seeking for revival, they started with asking. And so Jesus goes on, starting in verse 2, all the way to verse 13. There's this conversation about prayer, some of the most, uh, the, the most well-known teaching on prayer. He gives the Lord's Prayer. Model prayer for the second time. He's done it before on the Sermon on the Mount. But then notice, we'll we'll just jump to verse 9, as Gene was referring to earlier. Verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, mortal, you know, if you then being human, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right. First step to revival, just ask. And today what we're going to look at is two reasons why. (laughs) Why? Why just ask? Reason number one, just ask because Jesus emphatically told us to. (laughs) Just do it. He emphatically told us to. I don't know if you noticed it, but in the verses that we just read, verses 9 to 13, the, the word ask shows up six times there. Did you you notice that? It's very, very clear. So I say to you, verse 9, ask, and it will be given to you. So uh, it's it's emphatic in the sense, I mean, uh, the Bible doesn't have the capacity to to have bold letters or all caps or, you know, that kind of underscoring. The, the, the English translation doesn't allow for that. But what Jesus does is he, he repeats it. He emphasizes it through repetition. So he gives it to us six times over. But not just the repeated usage here in this, in this passage. He also gives it to us through the repeated tense of the word. It's the continuous or progressive tense of the word. When he says ask, he doesn't say ask once. The Greek linguistic dynamic of this is actually keep asking. That would be a more literal translation of the word. 
So I say to you, keep asking and it will be given to you. So he emphasizes it through repetition, but he also emphasizes it through rephrasing. Again, in verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So he's repeating the words, but he's also rephrasing it. And with each rephrasing, it's a step up. Do you notice that? There's something going from asking, which is a verbal transaction, to seeking, which is an active dynamic. Yeah? There, there's eyes involved. There's a search involved. And then it goes from seeking to knocking, recognizing that there are barriers that need to be knocked down even, <laughs> okay, opened up. That there's, it goes from verbal to, to search to let's do something about this. You follow that? Yeah? So he emphasizes it through the repetition. He emphasizes it through the rephrasing. But he also emphasizes it through the reassurance. In verse 10, he gives these awesome promises. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. For every imperative, there's a declarative, unqualified promise. There's this certainty like, you don't have to guess, is, is this possibly, are there certain conditions, you know, what, what, what is this? No, for every imperative, there's a declarative, unqualified assurance. It will be given. You will find. It will be opened. And then the other way that Jesus kind of just lays it thick is he doesn't just rely on repetition and rephrasing and, and, and the reassurance, but he gives you rhetorical questions. <laughs> Some very absurd situations, right? Where is it in verse uh, 11? If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? No, come on. If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead? Oh, I hope not. If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? No. If earthly evil fathers know how to be compassionate and giving, how much, all of this is leading up to this climactic, ultimate assurance of verse 13. Do you notice how it says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, meaning you are His kids, I am His son, you are His daughter, You've got a father in heaven that is way better than any earthly father here on earth. And what is, what is the assurance? Verse 13, how much more will your heavenly father give? Give what? The Holy Spirit. Laser focus. Not just any gift. Not just a nice thing. Not just a great blessing. But the Holy Spirit. The gift. And if there is a condition, there's one condition right here. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? <coughs> to those who ask. Jesus couldn't be more emphatic about his instructions. He couldn't be more clear. What he's saying to us, I think, right, verse 9, it says, So I say to you, what, what are you saying to us, Jesus? Well, he's saying, ask. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Don't just ask, but ask, seek, and knock. I like that you can remember those three, 
through the acronym ASK. (laughs) Ask, seek, and knock. Investigate, search, as if for a pride treasure, the whole, excuse me, a prized treasure. The Holy Spirit is someone that, that you desperately need. Unbar the doors, overcome the barriers that may be keeping you from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask, and don't just ask, seek, and knock once. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking for the Holy Spirit. Jesus is clear, He's emphatic. Step one to personal revival, just ask. Why? Because Jesus told us to, emphatically and clearly. But there's more. Why just ask? There's more. Just ask because we desperately need to. Just ask because we desperately need to. Uh, You know, in verse 9, where Jesus starts this instruction, I shouldn't say that. He, He doesn't start the instruction there. He's actually continuing. He's concluding the instruction. He says, so I say to you, right? It's the outflow of what has gone before. And what has he just said before? He's told a story. He's told a parable that's probably described in Christ Object Lessons, actually very well described in the chapter called Asking to Give. And in verses 5 through 8, Jesus describes this parable. And let's read it together. It says this, verse 5, And he said to him, Which of you shall have a friend Go to him at midnight. You guys have friends you can go to at midnight? You can text at midnight? You can call? I don't know. Um, all right, so let's, let's see ourselves in the story. Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Why? For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. I forgot to go to Costco. I don't, my, my pantry's empty. And verse 7 And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Verse 8, I say to you, Though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. There is something that Jesus didn't describe in the story that this man, this friend who came at midnight, he didn't take no for an answer, right? He just kept on knocking. Now, this parable is deep. Its applications are uh, multiple. And I wish we had the time to go into the depths of this, um, this single uh, parable. But there's one point I want us to draw. And maybe we should just zero in on the characters themselves. The characters. We've got three characters and some extras, but three characters. We've got a sleepy friend, a hungry friend, and a desperate friend. Yeah? And we've got some other extras, the children that are in bed and things like that. But sleepy friend, hungry friend, desperate friend. Who is the sleepy friend? The sleepy friend is supposed to represent God. What? God? Sleepy? Why, why, why is God represented by that? Because he's unwilling to get out of bed and grant our requests? No. No. That's not why this is an apt representation of God. This is God because he's the kind of friend that we can call on at any hour. At any hour. He's the kind of friend that we can call on and know that his pantry is always stocked. Amen? Amen. <laughs> like, there is no need that we will ever have that he cannot meet. That's the friend that you and I know. 
No, he's not a sleepy friend, but he is represented by this sleepy friend. Okay. His storehouse is infinite and his storehouse is accessible. Man, sometimes we don't recognize that second part. We know God has it all, but do we really believe that what he has is for me? Do you believe that today? What he has is for me. Think about it. He gave you Jesus. <laughs> How much more with him shall he not give us all things? Romans 8. Beautiful, beautiful friend of ours. Who's the hungry friend? Or maybe we should say, who are the hungry friends <laughs> in our lives? Hungry friends. These are representations of friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, anyone in our sphere of influence. Why? Because they're an inconvenience to us. No, no, no. That's not why. That's not why they're an apt representation here. Why? It's because everyone that's in our sphere of influence is on a journey. Every child, every parent, every, every valuable relationship, every acquaintance, everyone that you and I encounter is on a journey. And on that journey, they have needs, unique needs. Whether believers or unbelievers, whether in the home or outside the home, in the church or outside the church, just by virtue of our friendship and acquaintance and connection with them, just by virtue of that simple relationship, their needs are actually within our reach to fulfill. And because of that, they are our hungry friends. Do you, do you follow that today? Yeah. Is that, is that okay? So we've got a sleepy friend in God. We've got hungry friends all around us. But then who's the desperate friend? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> That's us. We are the desperate friend. Why? Because we pester God? No, okay? We are not an annoyance to the Father. Praise the Lord. Why are we the desperate friend? Because even though the needs of our hungry friends are within our reach to fulfill or within our heart to fulfill, their need is actually something that I cannot fulfill. What they really need, what your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, what your bank teller really needs is something that you and I naturally do not have to give. What do they need? What do they need? What the world needs now is a revelation of Jesus. Amen. That's not me. <laughs> I can give my niceness to people, but I can't. I, that's not giving life to people. That comes from someone else. That comes from someone. Even though the needs of our hungry fans are within our reach to fulfill, what they really need is something we don't naturally have. Hungry friends need a revelation of Jesus. They need conversion. They need new birth. They need spiritual life. They need resurrection from the dead. The best that I can give to others must come from someone else. Amen. Amen. Yes, I am a desperate friend. <laughs> and the reality check is that if you have a hard time, maybe you do have, I don't know. Uh, the reality check is that this desperate friend has a, a very humbling dynamic about himself. In verse 6, he confesses it very plainly. At the very last phrase, he says, And I have nothing. 
That's about as honest as we can get about what we have to offer those around us. I got nothing. I mean, I can try, I can put on a show, I can do things, say things, but really, I have nothing. Whatever they need, I must get. So the point of the parable is, just like we would keep on continuously knocking on the door for three loaves of measly bread, (laughs) we ought to keep knocking for what our friends really need. That's the Holy Spirit to bring new life to the soul. Do you follow it today? Yeah? Okay, 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 okay. So ask because we need to. Okay, okay. Ask because Jesus told us to. (laughs) Okay, I get it. He tells me to ask. I need the Spirit. But why do I have to continually ask? Why do I have to keep asking for that? I mean, do I need to twist God's arm? Is he somehow just like, he just waits for a certain number of requests before he gives the Holy Spirit? No, no, no. Remember, he's the Heavenly Father that loves to give good gifts to his children. Okay, so that that must not be it. Well, doesn't God already know that I need the Spirit? Of course he does. Of course he knows that we need the Spirit. The question is, do we know that we need the Spirit? Our continuous asking is not for his information, it's for our attention. (laughs) So the heart question is, do I continually ask for the Holy Spirit? I want us to think about this. Do I continuously? I'm not going to try to to measure and quantify what continuously means, like every day, every week, every seven weeks. No, no, no. I'm not going to try to do that, but continuously, repeatedly. And I'm not saying like, Um, ritualistically obviously none of us wants to get to that point where we're just doing it out of habit rosary style no but think about this question honestly do I do you continuously ask for the Holy Spirit and if not why not Maybe it's ignorance. Maybe you didn't know any better that I should keep asking for the Holy Spirit. I thought once in a while was just fine, you know. Maybe it's not ignorance. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's inattention or neglect. It's just not always on your radar. Maybe it's indifference. Not sure you even want the Spirit. Not sure that, that you really want to surrender to the Spirit. Or not sure that, that you really want to give to hungry friends. There's an indifference there. I wonder if there's a a deeper reason behind the inattention and sometimes the indifference. And it's what I'm calling the illusion of pride. That we haven't come to grips with the fact that, just like the man in verse 6, I have nothing is actually describing me. And that I continually have nothing. I I remember feeling like a sinner and not having anything at that one point in my life, but to to say that I don't have anything all the time, I mean, that, that just seems a little exaggerated, a little much. I would submit that behind our inattention to ask or indifference to ask is this illusion that we are okay. Let's get real serious here. It's an illusion that says that um, maybe I don't need to ask because I do have something. Now, I doubt that we'll actually say that out loud. <laughs> I hope we won't won't say that out loud. I doubt we'll articulate those thoughts even. 
But the fact that we can let a day, a week, or however much time pass without intentionally and genuinely asking for the Spirit is actually a tacit admission that we think we don't need the Spirit. Or at least need Him that much. That we've forgotten, and maybe we don't take Jesus seriously in John fifteen five when He says that apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> Oh, Jesus, I can raise my arms, though. You know, I can, I can breathe. And th- or can I do that apart from him? Nothing, he says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why he's asking us to seek and knock. Because he knows we need his spirit. Are we delusional? <laughs> do we think we're okay without him? In the book itself, uh, page 16, Helmut Haubeil says it. I mean, obviously, he says it originally in, in German, but the English translation says this. This special invitation shows us that according to Jesus, something essential is missing when we don't persistently ask for the Holy Ghost. Whew. Something is missing. Something is missing, not just on the result end of that, but also on the cause end of that. You understand? Like when we don't persistently ask, obviously we're not going to have the Holy Spirit. But why don't we persistently ask? Something is missing. Something is missing. He draws it to our attention that we absolutely need the Holy Spirit. Something is missing. We're missing a need for the Holy Ghost. The Spirit is only given to those who express their desire. We're missing a desire for the Holy Ghost. Uh, who express their desire for this gift and appreciate it. We're missing an appreciation for the promise. If the, if the presence of the Spirit is not seen as it should be, the promise of the Spirit is not appreciated as it should be. Man, man, man. So, where do we go from here? Two simple appeals that I'm just going to extend here today. One, just ask Him. <laughs> Just ask for the Holy Spirit personally and persistently. Don't let somebody else ask for the Holy Spirit for you. You personally and persistently ask for the Spirit of God. The promise in 11 verse 13, uh, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, who are asking Him? (laughs) Is that you today? Do you want to be fulfilling this. Do you want to be asking for the Holy Spirit? Take the initiative now. If that's you, you're saying, yes, yeah. Why why wouldn't I keep asking for the Holy Spirit? There's nothing, there's no good reason to not continuously ask for the Holy Spirit. Take initiative now in your hearts and minds. Plan how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, how often you're going to do it, with whom you're going to do this with. Make a plan for yourself. Take steps. Don't just hear this and say, yeah, that's a good idea. No, do it, please. Just ask. Keep asking for the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're asking the question, well, I don't want this to become routine, ritualistic. Yes, we, none of us do. But Jesus' teaching is this, that we ask because we have nothing and we'll ask continually when we deeply and continually sense that we have nothing. The conviction regarding our lack leads us to ask, seek, and knock. So maybe in order for us to really keep asking, we need to actually ask for the conviction 
that we have nothing. <laughs> maybe first before that, maybe that needs to be your, in your action plan. Lord, just bring me to this place where I'm genuine about having nothing and needing to knock, keeping on knocking on your door. We must first ask for true humility. Maybe we need to just ask for that awareness that we have nothing without him so that we could genuinely confess. Like he says in verse 6, I've got nothing. Until we realize that we have nothing, we'll never be the desperate friend. Until we realize that we have nothing, we'll never be the desperate friend that keeps asking, keeps seeking, and keeps knocking with persistence. I think some versions even say importunity. It's the only time this Greek word appears in the New Testament. Some, some versions say shameless audacity. <laughs> that only happens when I have nothing. So appeal number one. How many of you today would just, by the raising of your hand, say, yeah, I'm going to take this seriously and I'm going to keep asking. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right, appeal number two. Appeal number two is, is to ask not just for the Spirit, but to ask for salvation from self and pride that keeps us from saying, I have nothing. Um, in Luke chapter 18, it is. We'll just, this will be our last passage, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Luke chapter 18, just a few chapters later, another teaching section on prayer. Jesus tells another parable about two men. One of them is a Pharisee, the other is a tax collector, and they're going to God in prayer. The Pharisee prays, and he doesn't even pray about God. He prays about himself and how great he is. He's, <laughs> right? And then in verse 13, if you're there, Luke chapter 18, verse 13, it says, And the tax collector, his prayer life was much, much different. The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, first part there. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. I mean, to say you have nothing, to be honest with our nothingness is not about wallowing in self-deprecation and staying there. Okay? Being honest with our nothingness is about finding our everything in Jesus and going there. Does that make sense? Yeah? I mean, that's what the, that's what the desperate friend did. He realized he had nothing, and he didn't just like, cry his eyes out and say, I've got nothing. No, he went to someone who had everything. Are you willing to come to the cross today? Are you willing to come, to really, to, to pray for the Spirit is to pray for salvation for yourself and for others. That's what it is. That's what it is. And so, how many of us just want to say, you know what, I want to, I want to be like this. <laughs> I want to be like this, to realize that I have nothing, but to know where I go to the one who has everything. Is that you today? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, we're just going to close with a word of prayer here today, and I, I just want to Im- Im- appeal. Maybe there's someone here that realizes that they have nothing without God and, and want to actually confess through public uh, demonstration of their faith through baptism. And this is something that <clears throat> is always open to anyone 
who wants to make a commitment to follow Jesus. We're not going to sing a hymn today. We're not going to, you know, make a special altar call type of thing. But I, if that's you, uh, several of you have talked with me about being rebaptized, and we need to make concrete plans for that next, you know, set it a date. But if there's someone who says, you know, I, I haven't even been baptized. I want to confess my faith in Jesus. If you're here today, let's, let's make that possible. Let's make that possible. Let's talk. Fill out a next steps card. Uh, give us your contact info so we can make sure to help you in your next steps to coming to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the friend like no other. That we can come to you now and at any time. We never have to be insecure about whether you want us to come. We can boldly approach your throne. And you are the God who has an infinite supply, not just for yourself, but your supply is for me, for us. God, we, we want to pray that you would give us the capacity to ask and to keep asking for your Holy Spirit. God, I think we're used to asking you for lots of things. Uh, maybe we continuously ask you for certain things in our lives and around our lives, but the Lord we want the capacity to ask continuously for the Holy Spirit. Please, fulfill that in us today and every day. May this be the first step toward revival, not just for our sake, but for your great name's sake. We pray in Jesus' saving and precious name. Let the family say, Amen. Amen.